All right, if you're listening to this or watching this on Zoom or YouTube, uh, thank you. We're trying this out. It's new. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, welcome in to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, we are simulcasting, I guess you will, Eric. If, is that right? Is that the correct term? I don't know all the terms. I know very few terms, actually. <laughs> uh, but it sounds very good. Let's go with that. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're trying it out. We're, we're going to be recording our podcasts and doing them live uh, on YouTube as well. Uh, another way for you to listen to the show, another way to, for you to uh, find the show, and we'll see where it goes. And we're doing this a day after, uh, well, on, on YouTube, we're doing it after Mario Cristobal spoke with the media. We also got to speak with Noah Sewell. We also got to spoke with, uh, speak with uh, DJ James and Jamal Hill. It was a defensive player day as well as the head coach speaking. Uh, first time, Eric, since we talked to him after the scrimmage, um, didn't really get a full scope of everything from you know offensive line to DBs from Crystal Ball, but we did learn quite a bit about the makeup at quarterback and why Anthony Brown continues to get the number one reps and all the number one reps at quarterback like maybe i'm crazy for saying this matt but it does it feel like anthony brown is basically the starter and everything besides title like yeah. at this point i mean like, i mean like i mean we're now 10 practices through spring it's not a surprise anthony brown got first team reps to open spring like he's like five years older than these guys he's played probably over a thousand like actual game snaps those other guys are like 18 19 haven't played right. he's a six-year senior like all of it makes sense, but at the same time, I don't know if I was expecting through 10 practices for it to feel this cut and dry, and, and maybe we're overlooking it. You know, Mario Cristobal, we, we'll run through some of what he said in a second here, but, like, I, I, I feel like just from the outside looking in, going into speaking with Mario today, I, I kind of felt like, okay, like, it, it's going to be Anthony Brown barring something changing rapidly, and, and then you hear what, what Mario Cristobal has to say, and, like, I don't think my mind changed at all. Um, I don't know if yours did, but like no. I, I came out feeling like a little bit more like, oh, okay, so this really might be Anthony Brown's job, and that's not a bad thing. Like they've got all these highly regarded freshmen, but like there's not no reason that, that that those guys have to to enter campus and immediately contribute. And this is the right. toughest position probably to do that, even with guys like Ty Thompson. But certainly, I, I came away from what Mario Cristobal said. He was asked three out of about half a dozen, no, three out of about a dozen questions probably today, specifically about quarterback. And everything he said kind of leads me to believe that, hey, he's not going to come out and say Anthony Brown is going to be our starter in September because, as he said throughout the interview, and, and actually specifically a question I asked about how difficult it might be for some of these younger guys, it doesn't benefit anyone really to come out and say, he's number you know, one. yeah, at this point he's number one. And, and maybe, maybe Mario's kind of learning from a year ago where they said sort of, you know, Tyler Shucks is a starter going in, blah, 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 all the way through. And that might have impacted some things. And it was very clear today that Mark Crispo is not going to come out and say he's a starter, but he was willing to come out and basically say, you know, uh, Anthony's earned these reps. He's, you know, based upon the performance and practice, he is the one who deserves to be getting first team opportunities and, and then ran through a lot of really positive things that stand out about what Brown has done this spring. So like certainly the big story of the day was quarterback. And, and I don't think there's any question that you come away. And I know Matt probably agrees. He's already said he has feeling a little bit more confident that Anthony Brown will, will be the opening day starter. Obviously a lot to transpire five more practices, a full off season, all of fall, but like 
I don't know, 10 spring practices in, it's pretty clear where things are at. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing to suggest right now that they're going to deviate away from that plan. Like no. they're not I mean, we're taking them at their word that you know what they're saying in practice is happening because we can't go in ourselves and confirm it with our own eyes, but you know, they're not giving reps to Jay Butterfield for one series in a practice to get a feel for what he could do with the first team. It, it's all Anthony Brown. And Cristobal noted that, you know, this off season has been huge for him because he showed up last year. And I think literally right when he showed up, the pandemic hit and shut spring football down. So he didn't get any spring practice. His work with the coaching in the off season last year was all digital through zoom. It was all meetings. He couldn't meet with the staff training, right. uh, training, uh, in the facility w- was very difficult to accomplish and darn right near impossible off season workouts were, uh, strung together by players cause coaches couldn't do it and they couldn't do it on campus facilities because they were shut down. Uh, and then he, he mentioned how, you know, fall camp, they were gearing up for fall camp and then fall camp got shut down because of the season getting canceled. And then a month later it got brought back and, uh, that really kind of derailed Anthony Brown's progression and understanding of, of everything that they were going to be doing. And now that they're able to go through a normal spring, he's taken all the reps. And we, we talked about this on I think Wednesday's podcast about how it's probably the right pick. And it's also the safe pick to go with Anthony Brown right now until you know for certain he can't because every other position is built to win now in, the, in that kind of a mode now, this team is built to win now. The window is now for this group to make a big move. Yeah, and I don't think there's any question that the staff is very aware of what this team has this year. And I, I, we should complete the quarterback segment. I think maybe some other things to, to take away from it, but um, just just really quickly that it sounds like there's been not really any movement behind Anthony Brown in yeah. terms of reps in practice. I thought that was somewhat notable. Uh, Cristobal has said a couple times that these Saturdays kind of act as like performance days to kind of see where guys are at. And this previous Saturday, obviously being a big one, as it was a scrimmage with fans and everything inside Odson, and, and there was no real change in practice reps, at least based upon what Mario has said. Since then, in the last two practices, they practiced Tuesday and, and then obviously Thursday today. Um, still a split between Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, and Robbie Ashford. Frankly, I, I don't know if that changes. Chris Ball again said this upcoming Saturday will be another performance day. They'll kind of take a look and, and, and kind of figure things out. So um, right now it's it's – Anthony Brown's right here and Robbie Ashford, Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield are all kind of evenly aligned at the two spot in terms of practice reps. And really like, I, I know that's not like completely accurate just because Robbie Ashford's splitting time with, with baseball. And we talked on the show before about how that impacts things about how he can only practice an hour when he's, uh, I guess, shuffling through baseball um, on a baseball game day, he can only practice for an hour. There's been a couple of practices that have overlapped with that. So he hasn't maybe gotten, a full even split of practice reps. But I think it's pretty clear. The indication from that was, Hey, it's Anthony Brown and the guys behind him. There's no clarity about who's two or three or four in that order. And I think that's pretty notable too. I think, and that's kind of expected. I think, I mean, probably like Butterfield and Ashford um, were here last year, but again, their off season was 
different than normal years. They didn't get a full spring. They didn't get a full off season. They got a fall camp, but it was an abbreviated one. The season was abbreviated. Uh, and, and, and there probably was just quite honestly, like, you know, they didn't want to spend a, a ton of time developing them, but you know, Oregon also had to develop Chuck and Anthony Brown to get ready for the season and yeah. to win games. So, you know, they're basically true freshmen again. And Ty Thompson's a guy that's 17 and should be in high school still. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that, that all three of these guys are really neck and neck uh, back and forth with, you know, the, the, the battle for the number two job, whether it's unofficial or official or not. Um, other interesting items from, well, one thing, one thing on quarterback I wanted to hit real yeah. quick was just I, I asked specifically of like, does it feel like an uphill battle for these other guys? Because I, I, I was curious how upfront he would be in terms of like, maybe he's going to come out and say like, well, Anthony is really his sure. job to lose. And he was not willing to say that. And, and just to complete the quote, he said, he, he basically, he said, they don't want to refer to it as an uphill battle because that can kind of stall competition. Because if a guy thinks it's his job, maybe he feels like he can kind of take his foot off the gas. And then the, consequently, like, you know, I should say, like the converse of that is that then the guys who are behind that player also kind of let a foot off because they go, oh well, I, is it really worth me putting in my my all in on this? Because you know, it's like if you're in a long distance race and there's a guy way out in the distance, you kind of go like, oh, I can't really catch that guy. Right. And if they're feeling that way, then that sort of impacts practice. So they're not doing that. And then kind of what he said to close it here, and I th I, th I thought we just end the quarterback talk with this was from Mario. You you just never know. You never know what he or what he was going to look like going into practice 14, he being just like the hypothetical player. You never know what he'll look like after another offseason and a summer of conditioning and what what we'll do when we get out there for fall ball. That's how we look at it. So, you know, you can say and point to the fact that Anthony Brown got all every practice rep and he's older than these guys and, and he should have the edge. But I don't think, at least from Mario's perspective, you can't discount the possibility of things changing a little bit by the time we get to fall. Um, with that said, I, I think we still both feel pretty confident it's Brown's, Brown's job to, to lose, and it would probably take a lot from one of these younger guys to, to change anything. Well, it goes back to kind of like what we were talking about on Wednesday's show of how may, maybe a Jay Butterfield makes a huge step this offseason. And yeah. gets to a point where it's, hey, Anthony Brown is still the number one quarterback, but the gap between Anthony Brown and Jay Butterfield has shrunk. And the gap between Jay Butterfield and everybody else has uh, widened a little bit. And it gets to the point where, but we were talking about if, if one of these freshmen should redshirt or not, or if all of them should redshirt. And maybe it gets to the point where Butterfield, for I'm just using Butterfield as, as an example. But right, 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 right. Maybe Butterfield gets to that point where it, it gets, well, we got to play him because he's far and away better than the other guys. He's probably going to be the number one quarterback next year going in. Let's get him some more reps than we, than we maybe could have. Let's not use his red shirt. And maybe that opens up the door for kind of like what we saw with Trevor Lawrence um, at Clemson, where it was like, Hey, get Lawrence some reps, get him into the games. And then like game three, it was, it was pretty evident. Like, Hey, Bryant might be pretty good, but Trevor Lawrence is special. And the more reps we get, he continues to elevate and get better and better and better. And the gap continues to, to widen or to, to, to shrink. And eventually Trevor overcame, you know, Bryant and took the job at Clemson. I'm not saying 
yeah, you know, one of these guys is is going to be Trevor Lawrence, but maybe it's that kind of a scenario where it's like we just need to keep going with Anthony Brown. He, you know, he hasn't done anything to lose the job, and he's winning. But maybe we find some uh, scenario plays out where it's Oregon finds another quarterback that can get to his level and then it becomes competition. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I think that's totally something to consider. I mean, like, I think we get stuck in the mindset of like, this has to be Justin Herbert over Dakota Prukop where the team is struggling. And that's the only position where you'd insert one of the younger guys. It's like, well, the season's kind of out of reach. Let's kind of build towards next season. There's also the Clemson model here with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant that Matt was just talking about where you're still competing and, and, and wanting to be a national championship contending team. And you have the veteran guy who's clearly not quite the same upside. And I, I don't know if it's quite as – I mean, like Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent and Kelly yes. Bryant might be slightly better or, or at least even with Anthony Brown. So, like, maybe that's not going to be the exact scenario. But, like, it's not crazy to think that they maybe they maybe they beat Ohio State and or maybe they don't, but they're still in the college football playoff five, six weeks into the season. And it starts becoming more and more clear the best quarterback is one of the younger guys and that they can make a transition to that. The only concern I have with doing something like that is the concern that I'm sure Dabo Sweeney had down in Clemson when they made that move is you don't want the young guy to not be able, not be ready for the moment. So you better be sure that if it's Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson or Robbie Ashford and you're going to pull Anthony Brown during a season where you still have big aspirations, that that guy is not going to have just a let up game. Because if you'd hate to be a spot where you make that change and like the natural progression, I think based on the schedule is after their, their bye week there, it kind of splits. I think you get five games and then a five and then a bye week and then seven, maybe after five games, you're four and one, you're five and oh, you're feeling pretty good after the games against Arizona and Stanford. And you go, Hey, well, let's try one of these younger guys. You can't go into that game after the bye week. I think against Cal, I don't have the schedule pulled up in front, but you can't go into that game and have a letdown game and lose that game and suddenly everybody's going gosh we should have stuck with the older guy brown had things working blah 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 blah. you can't get into that spot so like there there is i think a real kind of tough balance here and this is what goes with this job at quarterback and we saw last year firsthand how tough it is sometimes to make these determinations is you would hate to see that that sort of thing take place but as we said a couple days ago um and we should probably end it here because there's more to talk about um but the quarterback position battle, it feels pretty clear that Anthony Brown is the guy, and it's going to have to take somebody else really make, making a step to change that. And I think what Mario said today on Thursday kind of I just reaffirms that belief. And, and who knows, maybe things change in the next 10 days or so, and maybe after the spring, maybe someone has a great spring game and just blows right. everybody out of the water. But right now, I think Anthony Brown is, is the quarterback when, when Oregon opens its season in, in September. Uh, Cristobal also spoke pretty highly of Oregon's offensive line in – kind of his review of um, the scrimmage that happened on Saturday and brought up the fact that Stephen Jones has, again, done a really good job in the offseason of getting him himself into better condition, better shape. So he's right around like basically like the perfect level of weight that he wants. I think he's 328 is what Crystal Ball said, which is – It was like 3, 360 a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, significantly lighter than where he was. And – I think he he was even lighter than that a couple I think this time last spring but it was they they put on weight from a, a strength standpoint so it was like the good weight that they, they always talk about um and he he's he also gave Jones a lot of praise for being able to get reps with the first team at every position along the offensive line outside of center which you know I think 
is intriguing because some people believe he could be better as a left tackle. Some think he could be better as a right tackle. Something some people believe he's probably a, a better offensive guard uh, than an offensive tackle. Um, so they're obviously moving him around a little bit. They he brought up uh, T.J. Bass, uh, a, a junior college transfer who moved into the starting lineup last season. Um, said that he was a guy that doesn't get a lot of the attention that maybe he should, he should. Um, and, and said that he's, he's pretty good. And uh, I think he used the word elite when it comes to TJ Bass. And then he really raved about George Moore yeah. um, and more at left tackle, the what seventh year offensive lineman for, for Oregon. Matt, he, he, he's older than some of the GAs is what Ryan Walk said a couple of days ago. <laughs> like, that, that tells you everything you need to know. The guy's like 28 years old. He's got. It's like he might even be older than Cam McCormick. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty old. Um, but it, it does feel like you know, with a lot of spring, it it did feel kind of a lot of lines of what what's Kingsley doing, what's Bram doing, um, what are the younger guys you know that are in this lineup. I mean, Logan Sagapalu got a lot of attention last year and continues to do so. Cristobal talked about him as well. Um, but Cristobal said that you know their starting group is pretty darn good and they're showing it in spring football right now. Yeah, no, I I think George has probably been one of the surprises of spring in terms of the offensive line. Like Matt and I had talked going into spring and I think he he loses his job to Kingsley. I I was just going to say like, I I wonder, Matt, have you changed your, what's your tune on that? Have you changed it? Are you still feeling pretty good about, about that prediction? Well, I mean, I I can't get into practice. You know, we've only been to one, um, see what you know spring spring game will, will give us a little bit more of some ideas but um it does sound like george has improved which is what you would expect when the talent level increases you know you know everyone else's production goes up but kingsley is pretty good um you know mirrorball's already gone on a record saying he's going to be a first round draft pick i don't know if george you know it, it's just i guess from a kingsley perspective how quickly does he get to that a level play and does George Moore hold him off long enough for his career? Well, and this is this position we're in right now. It's almost like we're weighing the compliments of one coach about a player against the compliments of another coach about a different player and trying right. to decide which one's better based upon both of them saying really nice things. about. Just players. let us into practice. <laughs> like, gosh, please. Oh my gosh. And there was, and I don't want to, uh, never mind. I won't go down a tangent. Just about yeah. Saturday was frustrating because there were things we weren't supposed to talk about that I would have loved to have talked about. But, um, but that, I digress in terms of like the George Moore thing. Like that's been really a cool storyline is, is seeing him, um, the evolution there of going from somebody who like, frankly, he came in in 2017, which is a long time ago as they, as a, as a junior, as, as like a junior in college, I think they discounted one of the years. So he was like a sophomore technically, but like he's been in college football forever. And when he came in, this kind of ages him a little bit. He lost out on the starting left tackle kind of job to Penny Sewell. And, here we are several years later and he's got the job and he's now against Kingsley. Yeah. And it's like, that would be what a terrible way to go down his career. If he were to lose it, not that, not that those guys aren't fantastic players, but just to lose his job to true freshman left tackles two times when he sticks around to do it, that would be, a, that would be tough. But like the, I've seen him evolve from being a guy who's like an afterthought who we really didn't hear his name for a couple of years, just because they had all, they had, they had Penne and they had, Throckmorton, who would probably be his backup, or Stephen Jones, who might move over, et cetera, to now seeing him in a place now where, where he's here and he is in position to be a starter and getting a lot of positive reviews. And you hear Oregon's 
other offensive linemen talk about George Moore, and it's it's very positive. They talk about him as being a veteran leader, being somebody who's great with the younger players, and um, just a fun guy to have around. I, I think he is a storyline. This one of the storylines of spring. I'm sure we'll do some like biggest storylines from the spring stories afterwards. I think one of them has been like. We thought we'd be hearing a lot more of Kingsley Sumatia challenging him for a starting job, and that doesn't mean that can't still take place. But I think the fact it's that more George that it's been more George than Kingsley for the last five or six practices or so yeah. like, that speaks a lot to, to George and his progress. And who knows what the ceiling is? I think Kingsley's probably going to be a, a more highly regarded draft pick and probably a better professional career. But kudos and, and props to George for elevating his game and, and putting himself in a position this year to, to hold down a, a starting job for two straight years in an offensive line that's. Got a lot of really good players. Cristobal gave us kind of a, a little bit of a blueprint for what he wants the next week or so, and then into spring into the spring game next week. Because what this was practice ten, is that right? Yeah, this is practice yeah. ten. So they've got five more left, which includes the spring game. They'll, they'll practice on two uh, on Saturday, and then. Uh, I think they have four practices next week. I don't remember the exact dates, but it's like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or something like that. You, you nailed it exactly. I was just looking at it, Matt. I was doing the math on a story because I always write which practice it was, and I was going like, wait, if it's the tenth practice, that means they have to have four practices next week before the spring game, and that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, they practice on Tuesday, Thursday, and then Friday before Saturday. So, and and the plan now is, Christopher said they still got a couple more days um, of install for systems and. You know, offense, defense, special teams, and then going over all of that stuff again, uh, the whole scope of things to make sure everyone's kind of dialed in and ready to go. And then the last one or two practices will be to basically get themselves ready for a game-like scenario. And he also gave us an idea kind of of what spring football, the spring game might look like. Yeah, I asked about that. Um, well, we should know. Fans are going to be there. So if you yeah. haven't seen that, get prepared. Try to set it up to – I don't know if they put tickets out yet, Matt. I don't actually don't know what they the have pro- not. progress is. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, but, yeah, be aware of that. And follow the link. There, I think between six and 8,000 fans, something like that, 50% of capacity was what they said. So that will be available. But, yeah, in terms of what the spring game might look like, um, Cristobal said he wasn't – like he hasn't finalized any decision, but they want to play football and they want it to feel like a game. And he wants at least one half of the scrimmage or of the spring game to be like a real football game. And I would imagine that they'll probably try to go ones versus ones because that's what they've done in the past. You know, iron sharpens iron. That's one of Cristobal's like kind of, I don't know, uh, def- kind of the way he defines the program and, and the way they try to get better. And so I would assume you're going to see a lot of ones versus ones, twos versus twos, and, and maybe they'll rotate and go ones, twos, ones versus twos, and twos versus ones, et cetera. But like expect to see some of that. And um, I imagine that they'll then, of course, spend a lot of time on some situational stuff. Cristobal loves to, to put the team in, you know, two-minute drills over time, red zone situation, short yardage, um, special teams kind of thing. So – I think you'll see a variety of different things in the spring game, and, and we'll probably have a little bit more clarity about a week from now when, right. when, when whenever Mario speaks closest to the spring game of like exactly what the format will be. <laughs> but I think early returns in terms of what they want to do is, is make it as close to a, an actual game atmosphere for at least one half of that. And and doing that in front of fans will be great. Right? I mean, like, and he crystal made it's the like note 80, of like... It's like 8,100... Yeah, I think I think that's the max to 15%. But like these guys just played a full season and didn't have a spring game in 2020 and played a full season with no fans at any of the games besides the bowl game. And that was even limited capacity. So like, and this is limited too, but like to, to, to go out there and have 8,000 fans screaming and, and engaged with it, I, I imagine that's going to be something that's going to be really fun for 
for everybody involved to be a part of. Defensively, we we got some time with Jamal Hill and um, DJ James and Noah Sewell. Um, I thought it was very interesting that Sewell raved about the potential of Justin Flo. Yeah, fellow, fellow. I don't know. Do we? I, I still we still quite haven't figured out how we classify everybody. Like technically, Noah Sewell is a true freshman, but do we call him a true freshman? I, do we call him a sophomore? I've Did, been call, I've just been calling everybody like what year they how many years they've been here, followed by whatever the roster says. So I say second year freshman for both of them. But like you could differentiate because Flo hasn't played and Sewell played every game last season, so they don't feel like they're equal with eligibility. But they they are technically, I think. So second year freshman Justin Flo. Um <laughs> it <just> sounds weird. <laughs> like I don't know. Maybe not. Uh he's almost back for spring football, full go. Uh he did do some light work in the scrimmage. He wasn't a participant in the scrimmage, but the practice portion of it right. he was there. And you know, Noah, you, you really could tell he's excited to play with Justin because of just the high remarks that he gave to to his fellow five-star freshman linebacker yeah i imagine part of the sales pitch when they were putting this together what was to get what was the these two guys would play together at some point and obviously i don't know like it felt like that might have taken place a year ago and then justin has an has a knee injury and misses basically the whole season i think he played a little bit in the opener against stanford but not even much to, like i don't even know if he played many downs on actual defense most of it was special teams i think um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's excited about it. And you can kind of tell, you know, you go watch the video of like who, who knows is pretty close with. It seems like he and KT have a great relationship too. And I'm sure, I mean, we talked about this in the past, but the idea of having maybe Justin and Noah at, at, at inside and, and, and then on the outside having like Adrian Jackson and Kayvon Thibodeau, just the athleticism, the pass rushers, the level of athlete out there. Um, that's some scary stuff, but it's going to be interesting. But like, I mean, I think, I think the exciting thing, right. If you think about it from a linebacker spot is you could have a scenario here where Justin Flo is not a starter as being the best linebacker who Oregon's ever started. And that yeah, he, he doesn't starts, play. He doesn't start as a freshman. Uh, well, yeah. And that he doesn't start his first game until 2022. I mean, Isaac Slade doesn't, Isaac Slade, Mateo Atia doesn't have to leave in 2022 either. He's like whatever, a fifth year junior right now, yeah. fourth year junior, whatever it is. He could come back for 2022 and Flo might be sitting here having to figure out what his path to the field is. I'm not saying he's never going to be a, a really instrumental he's player. He's going to play. It's just he's not going to be listed as a starter. Yeah. And so, like, but that's the kind of depth you have. And I mentioned Adrian Jackson. Adrian Jackson, not that long ago, was somebody we were super excited about as a freshman. I still remember going to the press conference and, and uh, Troy Dye calling him a phenomenal beast or something along those lines. <laughs> And being like, this guy's going to be a player, and he's just had injuries. And so I just think collectively at linebacker, you get really excited. But Noah in particular, uh, with his size and, and the way he played last year, boy, I, that's a guy to build around. And this defense, this is why we talked about earlier at quarterback of like, they kind of, they know this is a special year. They have so much talent on defense, especially at linebacker. Um, and I think the secondary where it's like, you don't want to waste these opportunities. I know Oregon is on a recruiting hot streak. I know they'll continue to recruit really well, but there's there's no guarantee that this is a program that in 2023-24 is quite as deep or talented on defense as it is right now. And you don't want to lose out on this opportunity with when the quarterback position is kind of in flux. So a player like Sue, I think, and that defense as a whole, I think kind of solidifies sort of that thought of like, boy, they need to really be ready this year. This has to be a, yeah. a special year because they've got the dogs to do it, especially on defense. Sewell, 
um, I kind of asked him the question of like, where are you at right now from where you were a year ago when you showed up and just kind of what are you working on? And I, I think this is what you want out of your leaders um, and kind of your alpha dogs, if you will, because um, Noah is one of those like vocal leaders, guys that kind of sets the tone um, for, for the rest of the team. And he was, I'm paraphrasing, but he was like super quick about it. He's just like everything. I just need to get better at everything. And then he referenced his eyes, like eye reads and, and making that progression of, of understanding, like reading the offensive lineman and knowing wh you know where they're going and following the ball. But his just drive, I think, to just be better at every asset, you know, aspect of, of, of his game is probably what's going to make him much like his brother, uh, a first round NFL draft pick at, at some point in his career. But, you know, it, he, it was just kind of a funny moment where he was just like, I, I just got to keep grinding. I just got to get better. I got to get better at everything. Um, and then he, he focused in on, on the reading aspect of it. Like, did you think he was that, I didn't think he was that bad in coverage or, or diagnosing plays. Like, I almost think like he was too aggressive and, and going to the plays. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the thing with him is is he's so darn good already that yeah. the areas that he thinks are improvement are already probably kind of like borderline strengths for most players. So, like, I take it for a grain of salt when somebody of his caliber, like when he or KT are talking about things that they need to work on, I'm always like, you're already really good at that. Like, <laughs> like that's not a weakness that I see at all. Like, sure, you want to find something to get better at, but, like, it's not like Noah Sewell is going to be like, yeah, I really need to get stronger physically. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Or, like, oh, man, my quickness is like – because he's elite in those areas already as a – as an 18 year old, um, as a teenager, um, 18 or 19, whatever he is now. And so like, no, I, I don't think of those as being areas that he was particularly poor in last year. In fact, like, I, I, I think the season started as you'd expect with some kind of rough moments there. Cause I mean, he's asked to call the defense as like an 18 year old who's never played at this level. Um, but like by the end of the season, I didn't see issues with that. Like, I mean, like the defense played, I thought really, really well the last three weeks of the season. You know, you think about that Cal game, that game yeah. is kind of a miss. People think of that as a game where the, de like the defense didn't play well because they lost, but the defense played their butts off. And I thought maybe that might have been like their best overall game. And if it wasn't their best overall game, it was the next week against USC where they, I thought, were tremendous in terms of getting after the quarterback and being aggressive. And then Iowa State, not their best of the season. At the same time, like, not exactly a, a not exactly a bad performance overall. I mean, some 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 bad moments, but then some moments where I thought they they clamped down and played really well. So, like that that defense, I, I think people look at it and think of that season as being kind of like a wasted year or a down year. Like certainly there were some games where they didn't play well, but at the end of the season, we saw Noah, we saw Isaac, I think KT, obviously Brennan Doralis, Mikhail Wright, some of these guys, Jamal Hill is another one, obviously, and we should talk about some of what Jamal said today. Um, really take their game to another level. The last kind of pseudo half of the season i guess last three games of the season um typically i'd say a quarter of the season because typically you play 12 games but they only played seven so like right. last half of the last half of the season i thought they played pretty well and i think that's carried into spring um i think the thing that stood out just transitioning really quickly to finish this up with with jamal hill and dj james was just the like collectively how close dj jamal and, and triquest bridges are yeah um those are three kids that came here from the southeast DJ and I think Tricola. they enjoy their each other's success tremendously. Yeah, and I thought that was really fun to see because um, I think it was Jamal who was asked first about Triquez having a really good scrimmage. And for those that weren't there or haven't seen our, our practice reports, like he made a couple big plays, made a couple tackles, broke a couple passes up. One of them might have stopped a touchdown. Like he he had a really good day, 
And it was fun seeing Jamal and DJ respond and be like, those are my, those, that's my guy. Like th- those are the guys I want to root for. Like I spent all every day with those guys and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have a story up on duck territory either Friday or Saturday. Um, just kind of breaking down what was said, but like, it's pretty, it's pretty notable that like Oregon in that 2020 class, 2020 class, 2019 class. That was the year. KT. Yeah. It was with KT 2019 class. They bring in three defensive backs that are all three star prospects from the state of Georgia or Alabama. Um, and those guys come in and pretty quickly now are asserting themselves as, as potential starters. Like it's not unthinkable that in 2022, Oregon has three starters from that group that Triquez is starting at one corner, DJ's at the other, and Jamal Hill's playing nickel. Um, I don't think that's absurd. Like Triquez is going to have the toughest job of anybody because I think Jamal and DJ are kind of already locked in as starters. Right. Like Jamal, Jamal Hill's your, maybe your, your best defensive back aside from Mikhail Wright. Like he, I was going to say, is he, is he the best? Well, I, I started saying that and I was like, Mikhail Wright's better, but like, yeah. but he's really good. Jamal Hill's like certainly one of your better he, defensive players. He's a guy that you look at and you think he's probably got an NFL future in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and so, and then DJ James is someone who probably is going to start this year and, and then Trequez could replace, or sorry, could replace Mikhail in 2022. So like that group, seeing them kind of develop, I thought that was notable. And, and certainly you kind of, you, you root for these guys that, that come in together and, and are, are pretty close and, and are coming from a different part of the country in this instance. I mean, it kind of speaks to the brand that Oregon could have as many guys playing as many snaps from, from Georgia and Alabama. And, and I think that can't hurt going forward from a recruiting perspective. And we've seen Oregon already have some more success in, in the state of Alabama as recently as this year with, with Tanner Bailey, a quarterback from the state. So, um, Thought that was kind of notable too, just that these the couple of kids from the southeast are, are really turning some heads in the second. Well, there's there's the like the notion of like the inside joke um, of you always kind of want to take the three star guy from the south who's got offers from all the the power five schools over the high four star guy from the west um, who has some of the offers from the power fives, just because the level of competition down in the south is significantly better. Yeah. And I think it just like it just goes to show that I, I think if if Oregon goes into Georgia or Alabama or Texas or wherever and lands that three-star guy that's got 15 offers from ACC and SCC schools, yeah. like that guy's probably going to be a dude. It's just give him some time. And we're seeing that growth of those guys now at Oregon. Like, and those are the types of recruits that obviously they want to go and they want to get like, if, if you told Mario Cristobal, Hey, you can go get the number one player in Georgia every single year. He, he would be all for it because that guy's going to be a really good player, but the likelihood of that happening is very low just because of distance and proximity to other elite schools and, and whatnot. Like it's not impossible. You, you can go out and get them, but Oregon's probably got a higher hit rate. Matt, you've cut out, buddy, and we're on live on YouTube, so those watching are also as con- not a great not a great image of yourself either. <laughs> like you're taking a nap at the worst time. Um, well, let's see if we can get Matt back on the podcast. Here. I'm going to message him really, really quick in our see what's going on. I think he probably has some internet connection issues. We don't have this happen very often when we're recording, so this is unfortunate that it happened when we were doing a live show as well with our video. And again. Um, Matt's Matt's not caught at his best right now with his with his his video. So let's see if he can uh, if he can reconnect really quick and we can we can wrap this up talking about 
defensive backs. Oh, Matt, you've returned. I think we're back. I think you are back, Matt. You were caught in the worst, the worst possible image. You're like, <laughs> uh, so trying was, trying new things out, and that's what happens. That's um, what happens. So we're back. You were uh, we were we we're just still talking about the defensive backs in the southeast when you. Okay, I, I was just saying that, like, you can go into the south and get these guys that are um, level of level of like. The, they're clearly a power five guy. They could start for power five schools. They want to play for a top 10 team. And maybe the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Auburns and the LSUs aren't looking at them, but everybody else is. And they feel like they're confident enough and good enough to play at, at that level of a school. And Oregon can go in and go easily get those guys over uh, a Texas A&M or a Kentucky um, or, you know, Missouri or, you know, Tennessee or what have you. And that's kind of what they're doing, like with DJ James and Jamal Hill and TriQuest Bridges. It's what they did with, with Jordan Scott, you know, like Jordan was committed to Florida and I'm sure Florida was kind of like, Ooh, like what did we do there? Like what, wh- why did we let go of that guy? I mean, he four year starter for the ducks. Yeah, no, no there. And that's a good point. That's what you see in the draft. Like every year, like a kid from Vanderbilt or wake forest, some right. of those schools that aren't great at football have like a first round pick or a second, a couple second round picks just because the, I mean, I don't want to disparage West coast, or I just play. but there are some really good football players that are not going to get offered by the blue bloods in the Southeast. And it's very, it's, it's very beneficial for Oregon to go out and do it this way. It's the same way. Why you look at Oregon state's star football players, a lot of them are from the state of Texas or other parts of the country that aren't the West coast footprint. Cause there is a ton of like, there's like a, there's, a, there's, there's too much talent almost down there. Just, there's a surplus and you've got a bunch of guys that are looking around going like, boy, well, I guess I'm not going to go to the top school in my state. I might not go to Texas or Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or whatever state you're in, but I can still go play power five on the West coast in the PAC 12 and elevate myself. And you see a guy like Jamar Jefferson, top five team in the country, top 10 yeah. team. You can be a great team and you can come and, and, and you can play. You can come and play at a high level. And I think, again, that's kind of, I think, was one of the things I took away from talking with Jamal and, and DJ was just so guys that came from Alabama and Georgia and that didn't come in with a ton of fanfare. All were kind of part of the, I think they all signed in the, the, the later part, the later, the later signing period, I should say. And, uh, and, and here we are not that long down the road and, and they're playing big parts of this team and, and arguably kind of, I think, the, the, the future of the defense uh, from the defensive backfield at least. What's next for the week um, for Oregon football? I mean, they've got one practice this week, and then they'll get you know geared up for um, the, the final week of spring ball and the spring game. I, I guess, like, is there one overlaying question where you're like, what needs to get answered still? Uh, well, I mean, quarterbacks, obviously, is still the thing, like, at the forefront of all thoughts. But, like, I'm at the point here, as we recapped earlier, of, like, I don't expect much to change. Like, I think we kind of know where it's at, like, Anthony Brown's probably going to be the first team quarterback in the scrimmage. And I think the backups are, are in the spring game and the backups are going to rotate. So like, I don't feel anything crazy there. I mean, just go through the position groups, like running back. I'm like, well, we know who they've got. We've, we've got a bunch of content on the way that's kind of, you know, they're limited, but they're playing well. I mean, I think maybe receiver I, I'd love, I'd love to see just kind of a better, if there's any more clarity for like, okay, who's the top three. Cause right now it's like, we assume Jalen red and Johnny Johnson right. are going to be starters. And then it's Devin Williams, Micah Pittman, 
those are probably the only two guys that really could start right away. Like we're going to be the first team guys, but like that part wasn't totally clear in the scrimmage we were at because Jalen Red wasn't a participant. So those those Devin Williams and Michael Pittman were working with Johnny Johnson in the first team. What's it look like when Jalen's back? Who kind of gets that bump up? Um, would be something I'm curious to see, but it's not like an overlaying thing. Um, you know, offensive line and tight end kind of similar to receiver in terms of it's like you kind of know who the players are, but you don't know what the, the, the order is in some instances. Um, I think defensively, I still would like to see a, a better idea of kind of on the defensive line what that looks like. I, I mean, I, honestly, like the thing I'm going to be really looking forward to going into the spring game is just is like KT watch, outside linebacker. Exactly. Exactly. What I was going to say, just watching KT, where is he lining up? Is he an outside linebacker or is he still have his hand in the dirt most of the time? And if he's an outside linebacker, how does that change things? And if he has his hand in the dirt, is it as simple as it's the same guy as we expected it to be coming into the year with Adrian Jackson playing a little bit more or with like Jackson Luke playing a little bit more. I don't know, but like those are the kind of things I'm interested in. I think KT is probably the thing that I, it was this huge talking point when KT spoke with media about two weeks ago. And he spilled then, the beans early on that. One. Yeah. I think he spilled the beans early. And since then there's been nothing really about it. In fact, like Cristobal kind of downplayed it. And then in the scrimmage that we watched, I didn't really see KT playing there that much. And then you talked to like, he, was, he even participated in the sprint in the scrimmage. I don't think he did. I don't think he was in the scrimmage, but in some of the seven on stuff yeah. he did. And then like, and then, uh, and then we have, I think last week we had two defensive players talk. One of them was like, yeah, KT's playing a new position. I think it was Mace Funa. Yeah. And then like right afterwards, Isaac Slade's like, KT's playing the same spot he's always played. And I'm just like, I don't, my head's spinning. Like who's doing what, where? So I think that's one where I'm, I guess I'm kind of still interested. There's in. probably a, there's probably like a big board inside the facility of like, do not talk about discussions of, you know, such and such with media or of anything outside of the program. <laughs> and I, I, I guarantee you if there is one and there should be KT to linebacker probably got put up there. No mention of KT linebacker <laughs> ever until the games happen. And then I think in that case, Isaac Slade saw it and, and Mace Funa has just walked by the whiteboard and not seen that, that <laughs> listed because he was like, yeah, KT's playing this new spot. It's super exciting. And everyone well, else was like, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's playing defensive line. That's where he's always been. I, I like to tend to go with what players say yeah. um, because sometimes they're just like, they're not really like, uh, you know, aware of giving away that type of information. Like I'll, I'll never forget 2016 uh, Washington week. There's a big lead up all week of, of who the starting quarterback is. Is it Herbert or is it going to be Prukop? A lot yeah. of people were calling for Herbert. Um, I think they were splitting reps in practice is what like the official word was, you know, that week there hadn't been a decision yet. And Jake Hansen at the time, a redshirt freshman center starting center meets with the media and just nonchalantly. Oh yeah. Justin Herbert's the starting quarterback. He's taking first team reps and uh, he's going to, he's going to be the guy. And it's kind of like, like it was like mums the word from everybody on staff. And then a redshirt freshman, you know, starting offensive lineman comes out. It's like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's been Herbert. Like I'm expecting Herbert to be the starter. Wait, I'm excited. <laughs> When you talked to Washington in 2016, I was like, oh, where's this horror story going? Like, what's the, <laughs> I was like, the resolution of this is not good. I know where this is going. No, and I think, I think the thing that was really clear, because KAT spoke, and then right after Mario spoke, it's pretty clear that, that Mario is like, we don't need to be talking about this right now. And <laughs> yeah. KT was like, all fired up of like, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm moving positions. I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy. And then Mario was like, great, here we are. And so when, and they, when they're in the, the scrimmage that was open, a part of me thinks that, that, that they were kind of going like, let's work on the packages where KT's a defensive lineman. So it looks like Mario was, you know, like, so it kind of looks like what we were representing is accurate. I still don't know. And that's, I think 
spring game, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of maintain that with the breakdown. Let's, let's real quick, let's do uh, let's end this on a funny note. What let's other try. things you think they could be like? Hey, let's <laughs> not talk about this. Let's hide this. Like Tom Snee's the starting quarterback uh, <laughs> this whole time. And Anthony Brown has never actually had a snap. Um, I don't. <laughs> what else could they be lying about? Um, I mean, maybe Tim. Not Brewer. necessarily lying about. It. They just don't. They don't want it to get out because they don't want you know yeah. Ohio State or Washington or USC, or you know, to, to be preparing you know for this or having an. I, I think this is a. a uh, I think this is a, a good thing for at receiver. Like, I don't yeah. think Johnny Johnson or Jalen Red are going to lose their jobs. I think they'll be starters pretty much the entire year. But I do think, like, you watch – we watch the drills that happened in spring football on that Saturday practice. And I can tell you right now, uh, Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin are not your third-string wide receivers. Like, those guys are going to play, and they're going to play a ton. You're telling me Isaiah Crocker is not going to be getting snaps above Dante Thornton like he was on, on Saturday? I think that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> um, what 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 else could they be dis, being disingenuous about? Maybe Tim Drew is just not even here, and that's just been a smokescreen <laughs> this whole time. I mean, it's COVID; we haven't seen it, and maybe and maybe Andy Avalos has just been running the show from Boise. And, uh, and now it we're is, getting really conspiratorial. It's not a shot on Avalos, but isn't it weird how like every defensive guy has talked about how everything's more streamlined and yeah. easier yeah. to understand? Like that that just feels it's not it's not a shot, it, not a shot at well, all. But it, 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 what it feels like is, which, and I'll make this comparison and say why it's interesting. It feels like what the Oregon offensive players were saying last year about Joe Moorhead compared to Marcus Arroyo. And why I make that comparison is that, like, Arroyo did not have the best public perception. Like, I don't think his approval rating was very high, especially in retrospect, because you have Justin Herbert who's now, like, setting NFL records, and he just didn't have that statistically that great a season. So people compare say that Joe Moorhead's offense is better, you're kind of like, well, we expected that. I don't think I came into this being like I was expecting – because Andy Avalos had a different perception when he was here, at least from what we saw. And we and based on the numbers, like I was like everybody – I think he's pretty well liked around here. I'm not saying he wasn't, but it is interesting, you're right, that the fact that we're now kind of partway into the spring and it's like everyone who's been asked is like, yeah, this Darure thing is better than what we were doing before. Um, and, of course, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's spring ball. Everything's awesome it's, right now. It's a, it's a little bit interesting, yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's the one thing. It's spring ball. Everything's awesome right now. Um, but nonetheless, I, I do think it's interesting that uh, every defensive player basically has come out and talked about how just streamlined the defense is. Um, and look, like Andy Avalos is a really good coach, really, really good coach. Obviously, he's the head coach of Boise now. He wouldn't be if he wasn't. Um, sure. And the numbers, that, the work he did at Oregon shows it too. But I think Cal's defense probably flew a ton under the radar for respect just because yeah. of their name attached to the name and DeRuiter ran that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and plays out, you know, over the next week for spring ball and then into the off season and the next couple of games to start the year. So, all right, that's going to do it for us on this odds and audibles podcast. If you're watching the show live on YouTube, thank you for, going through the struggles with us doing this. Uh, we're, we're trying new things. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you want to go to YouTube, just search Eric or I's YouTube pages and you'll, you'll find probably one or you know more of these. We'll, we'll try and do these more often on YouTube and 
Um, we are working on setting up a, a duck territory account for YouTube for all things like this to go. Um, but until then, just keep a lookout for links that go up uh, for these. So until we talk to you next week, uh, got a good interview with Chris Crutchfield, Oregon's new men's basketball assistant coach. Um, that'll be on the podcast feed uh, next week. So keep your eyes out for that. And until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.